Now, this is a song that is uh, hot from the oven. I just finished it. And it is a song that I wrote, again, based on a message given in the recent winter training in Anaheim. And that was a message on the eternal blessing of the triune God, if you recall. And so I was very inspired and uh, used the tune Morning Has Broken. It's a, uh, made into a popular song once upon a time in the 70s. But actually, it was origi originally a Scottish tune and uh, turned into a hymn. Um, and so, uh, how about uh, you? Let's play it again. We, we just hum along and uh, we can sing this uh, on the blessing of the triune God. Okay. <coughs> Okay, we can also slow down just a little so we can learn, huh? From God triune comes blessing eternal, Father, Son, Spirit, our portion free. What gift of favor, what staying power, what wealth of grace, oh, what perfect peace. Eternal Father, source of each blessing, bestowed in Christ from heaven above. In your name keep us, with your hand hold us from evil shield us save in your love eternal sun rose as the morn sun God in the flesh brought glory and grace be gracious to us, do shine upon us. Grant us your presence, show us your face. Eternal Spirit, countenance lifting, dispense into us. As joy and peace, your eyes assure us, your gaze approves us, your smiling visage, our guarantee. Praise to you, Father, for your mighty care to you, Son, for your wondrous grace.
praise to you, Spirit, for your endless peace, pressing eternal, ours to embrace. The love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus, fellowship of the Spirit divine. Be with us all and be with us ever. Blessing and praise will now intertwine. What do you think? Well, you get, get used to it, you know. So let's sing it again. How about that? And we're just trying to get the tune and fit the words. We may not even be in the lyrics, huh? Okay, let's try again. From God triune comes blessing eternal. Father, Son, Spirit, our portion free. What gift of favor, what staying power, what wealth of grace, oh, what perfect peace. Eternal Father, source of each blessing, bestowed in Christ from heaven above. In your name keep us, with your hand hold us. From evil shield us, save in your love. Eternal sun rose as the morning sun. God in the flesh brought glory and grace. Be gracious to us, do shine upon us. Grant us your presence, show us your face. Countenance lifting dispense into us as joy and peace. Your eyes assure us, your gaze approves us, your smiling visage our guarantee. Praise to you, Father, for your mighty care. Praise to you, Son, for your wondrous grace. Praise to you, Spirit, for your endless peace. Resting eternal ours to embrace the love of God, the 
grace of Christ Jesus, fellowship of the Spirit divine. Be with us all and be with us ever. Blessing and praise will now intertwine. Last week, uh, just this past uh, uh, weekend, I gave a conference to the Spanish-speaking in Southern California, and um, the subject was on praise. I spent four meetings on praise, and uh, I hope that uh, this word can spread. And as usual, my burden is not just to give uh, some, some kind of a exposition or just Bible teaching on praise. My burden is application and practice so that there would be a recovery of a spirit and atmosphere of praise in the local churches. And also that would be a recovery of the habit to praise the Lord. And finally, even there would be the recovery of strength to praise the Lord. You know, in Psalm 8, Psalm 8, that very, very uh, wonderful hymn that covers all of God's work uh, in Christ uh, from creation all to his coming back. Right there in the second verse, it says, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, you will establish strength. The word is strength. However, when the Lord Jesus uh, quoted that verse uh, in the Septuagint, in Matthew 21, he, says, out of, he said, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, you have established praise. So if you put these two together, you would know that that strength has a lot to do with praise. And indeed, it takes the most strength in a Christian to praise the Lord. It takes actually more strength than even prayer to praise the Lord. So we have spent the first conference meeting on praise being the highest work of a Christian. This is a great statement. This is from Brother Watchman Nee. The highest work that a Christian can perform is to praise God. Amen. You will never think praise is a work. But brothers, it is the highest order of our work and service to God is to render praise to him. The second is in Psalm 8 on the perfected praise. That means praise grows. Praise is a process in our experience. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> we can praise the Lord in a simple way, but that praise needs to be perfected. And the only way that our praise can be perfected is through our deeper and higher experiences of Christ. So the more experiences of Christ we have, the richer our praise will become. <clears throat> In the third meeting, we cover the, 
position of praise in the church meetings. That's a great, great message that you will see how much in the New Testament you find praise is intermingled and it's in fact a main part of our service, of our church meetings. And finally, we cover praise in victory. How today our warfare truly is done through praise in the declaration of victory. In this last meeting, I took the saints through a grand tour of that book of praise called Revelation. I went through that whole book in a very brief manner um, to tell the saints how important, just how important this matter of praise is. Um, And I myself got a lot of light. Except for the praise by the uh, 24 elders who are angelic beings and also the four living creatures. Excuse me. The rest of the praise uh, in that book are all praises from the mouth of overcomers. Not just the general believers, but overcomers. Chapter 12 of the dead overcomers who have uh, resurrected. Chapter 14 on the first fruits. These are the ones who are raptured alive uh, to Zion. And then thirdly, in uh, chapter 15, you have the late overcomers, so-called. Those who have passed through the great tribulation and now they sing both the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. My, what a scene. And then, of course, eventually we arrived in chapter, excuse me, chapter uh, 19 on the praise, you know, associated with the... uh, uh, double judgment on both the material and spiritual Babylon uh, and resulting in the proclamation of the wedding feast of the bride um, that culminated with the defeat of the Antichrist and Armageddon. How praise fill the book of Revelation. Uh, brothers and sisters, today I will tell you our strength of praise is far from what it was 50 years ago in our church life. We need a recover, a genuine, substantial recovery of a praise life, both individually and collectively. <clears throat> so what am I trying to say? This last verse here, I have, you know, the song we just sang, <clears throat> the love of God, the grace of Christ. You know, this is Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen, And the fellowship of the... Holy Spirit, which is the triune God here, be with us all. And then I have this last line, blessing and praise will now intertwine. So I share with the saints this. Of this two-way traffic between God and us. On God's side, there's nothing greater than his blessing to us. So this eternal blessing is actually the dispensing of the Holy Trinity, of the triune God 
Father, Son, and Spirit. Of course, we quote Numbers, if you recall, <clears throat> the trifle blessing. Uh, <clears throat> May God keep you, uh, bless you, and keep you. That is ascribed to the Father. And then may his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That is ascribed to the Son. And then may his countenance be lifted up to towards you and give you peace. That is ascribed to the Holy Spirit. And so that is in Old Testament terms, but uh, we're given this inter- wonderful interpretation in the New Testament that is in these verses. So God's blessing to us, you know, of course, Paul's highest praise was in Ephesians 1. It's also a triune praise. Praise, he said, blessed to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual heaven, blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. That was the first blessing. And then he blessed the Son, the Son who has accomplished redemption through his blood, etc., etc. And then finally, there's the blessing of the Spirit um, <clears throat> who sealed us and also who unto the day of redemption. And in each one of those sections in Ephesians 1, it ends with to the praise of his glory. So <clears throat> each one of this through in, in Ephesians 1, you see this two-way traffic. On God's side, on God's side, it is God's blessing us. You know, what is God's blessing to us? What is blessing? Blessing means when God says something good towards us. It's a kind of well-speaking of God. When God says something to you, that's God blessing you. You see. So all his promises are his blessings. And eventually, he himself being given to us as our inheritance is the greatest blessing of all. So this is from God to us. Then I told the saints, it's not right that God, God keeps speaking well of us and blessing us, and there's no response and no return. So the psalmist said, what shall we do with all these benefits that God has given to us? Am I right? And I'll tell you, dear sisters, the highest response we can render to God for all the blessing is our praise to him. You know what is our praise? Our praise is our counter well speaking to God. Do you see this? When God speaks well to us, that's blessing. When we speak well concerning him, that's our praise. There's nothing higher that God wants from his children than the praise out of our heart, our spirit, and out of our mouth. So I say here, blessing and praise will now intertwine. They intermingle. So out of the ivory palaces, which are the local churches, the praises will make you glad, make Christ glad. So in the early years, we are, the church life is full of the strength of praise. Today, not so much. 
not so much. We may pray, but we don't have enough praise. So, sister, I hope you would praise the Lord. In this matter, don't be silent. All right? You don't need to be silent. Fill your own life, your daily life, your personal life with more praises. Stop your complaints, okay? Lessen your gossiping. Your mouth is not made to do that. Your and my mouth is made to praise him. Praise the Lord. So build up this practice to praise the Lord and also bring that praise to the meetings, to the church life, right? So there's a lot more, of course. I want to just give that little piece to you. Now, for this lesson two, I don't have much burden for the second half of the, uh, because somewhat we've spoken about it, it's more concerning the principle of clothing and all of this kind of thing. In, uh, in Roman uh, 4, 5, and 6. So I'm not, get, uh, not even to go there. I'm just going to cover 1, 2, and 3. <clears throat> now let me back up again uh, to my fellowship this morning. I don't know how you feel. Some of you may be saying, oh, come on, this is too basic stuff. This, give us something deeper, you know. Um, well, I agree with you. These are basic. But I'm very, very burdened about basic things because I just, based on my observation and so on, I feel I cannot take basic things for granted, even amongst the saints, like we all know it. We're having a young generation rising up, And actually, this morning, you heard from my speaking, my burden is not just for you, but especially mothers, I'm burdened for your children. How you raise up your children. They're growing up fast. All right? How they will be taught. You know, my generation, so-called the baby boomer generation, um... And our parents, you know, they still teach us some of these basic things according to the God-created nature. You know, a man is a man, a woman is a woman. Men are like this, women are like this. Men should behave this way, women should be. Even forget about being Christian, just according to the human nature made by God. It's always this way for centuries in, in, in human history. I tell you, the devil is intensifying his work of rebellion. This mystery of lawlessness in the last of these days. Just by this kind of present-day philosophy, we know the end time is near. It doesn't mean that these kind of things were never around in human history. But Today, this is becoming mainstream. This is the dominant standard philosophy. And so, our, my parents, almost the last generation who still believe in this, my generation, there's still some, but my generation that grew up in the 60s is already 
the enemy is already beginning to uh, penetrate uh, or assault with the intention to destroy, to destroy the moral fabric in society, to destroy the ethical standard that is according to God's creation. Now, needless to say, to destroy anything biblical, anything spiritual, according to the word of God. You know, in the New Testament, the ceremonial laws and ordinances are canceled. I'm talking about the Mosaic law. But the moral aspect of that law was not only not canceled, but strengthened by Jesus. Do you follow me? We don't keep the Sabbath, all right? We don't kill animals as sacrifices. We don't do a lot of these things because those are ceremonial. But the moralistic, the moral aspect of the law, you will never change. And the Lord strengthened it in Matthew, chapter 5 to 7 or so. He strengthened it, and that become the New Testament constitution of the kingdom. So sisters, don't think these things are, uh, you know, Victorian, these things are old-fashioned, these things, do not say this. This is divine. This is God's law for man. This is God himself expressed. God possessed the highest morality in this universe. And part of his work of salvation is to impart himself, dispense himself into us to be our life, to be our nature, to be our person, so that we would live by that life. We would live, partake of that nature. And we would have that expression. And that is to live out Christ. That is the God-man living. And corporately, that is the church life. And so, sisters, today, let me tell you, make no mistake, we are in the middle of the thickest warfare in this way, in these things, in these things. And you, as a mother with children, you engage in a warfare. And your children, their hearts and minds, are the battlefield, absolutely the battlefield. Whoever gains their minds and their hearts will win this battle. And you cannot say that God will somehow willy-nilly protect them. You must teach them. You must inculcate them. You must cultivate them according to the word of God. I tell you, if you don't have the word, they have no chance. They don't stand a chance. Today, even the young generation coming to the FTTA, full-time training, young people, they love the Lord. But their head, their mind is filled with this present-day philosophy. They, they, they love the Lord. But their head is filled with the present-day philosophy. 
And partly, of course, we blame, you know, the educational system and all that. Partly, I have to put some blame on the family. The parents are not so vigilant, not so deliberate in realizing the need to protect their children. Still, they are under your jurisdiction, under your care for X number of years. And that's the time you have to work on them. You have to fill them with the knowledge of Jehovah. Even before salvation, the knowledge of God, God's existence, God's attributes, who God is, what God is, how God is. You have to teach them that. From a babe, Timothy knew the scripture because of his mother and then of his grandmother. They taught them, taught him, infuse him, brainwash him, if, if you don't mind me using that word. So that even when these other things come, they will have some kind of way to defend, to reason. We, we do have our children, some children saying, Mom, you better get ready um, for what I'm going to tell you. Um, you know, coming out, I'm coming out. High school, college, this is among us. Don't think in the recovery we are... Scott free we're, 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 we're fine. Don't say this. And since the teachers would not help, we have to do the job. And don't wait for the church to do it. Parents, you have to do it. Fathers, they are not here. And mothers, you must do this work. It's a warfare. Great school in the U.S. It's legislated in the curriculum that you must teach this. Great school. Young grade school. My two moms, you know, books, you read them. My two dads. This is like perfectly normal, perfectly fine, perfectly accepted. In fact, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Anything against that, you are bigoted, you're intolerant. I have, I have you know, I'm a minister of the word. I, I don't like to spend time ministering these things because we should minister God's economy. But what can we do? It is so bad, the situation. We need to wake up. Don't think, don't think that your, your children are fine. They are fine. But after six years, 12 years, 10 years, uh, 10, 12 years of this, 
their little mind is in their formative stage, they believe in these things. They internalize these things. I say the word of God. Mothers, read the word, the Bible, with your children. Read the Bible. And teach them the Bible, the scriptures. Now, concerning sisters, similarly, why we would talk like this? Why would Paul talk like this? And why would Peter talk like this? There's a reason. Because even among in their days, there were problems. And today it's only just uh, exacerbated ten times, hundred hundredfold <clears throat> with these feminist philosophies. <clears throat> okay, let's come to this lesson 12. <clears throat> I love this passage and then I would say that we should again read this passage first and uh, let, uh, if you have your word Bible with you, read it with me. If not, I will just read it. And I'd like to start actually from verse 1 all the way to verse 7, even though uh, the reference here is only 3 and 4. <clears throat> Peter here is talking about marriage life. You know, in Timothy, it's more general, the, nor the church life, more general. Here, Peter is talking about marriage life. Well, I guess... You know, Paul was not married and Peter was. So Peter talked about marriage life. Then you say, mm, such a big deal. Let me tell you, marriage is big deal. Big deal. In the context of the church. Besides our children, Satan's attack is on marriage. Absolutely on marriage. To break up marriage, to tear apart marriages. To put thoughts within us concerning marriage. That is not according to God or to the word. <clears throat> so this is the context when he talked about women here. So keep in mind... Is not just general sisters. But it still applies. Okay, it's the principle. So I read verse 1. In like manner, wives, be subject to your own husbands. It's like Paul. Then even if that, even if any disobey the word, they will be gained without the word through the manner of life of their wives. So he's talking about some wives marrying some unbelieving with unbelieving husbands and that even without the word through their lives the lives of these wives the husband can be gained 
two, seeing with their own eyes your pure manner of life in fear. These are the word of God. So don't, don't, don't just kind of flick them away. Pure manner of life in fear. Let your adorning, you see, the word adorn appears again. What is adorn? Adorn is not just to be dressed. That's not adornment. Adornment means some enhancing of your clothing. In other words, it's a kind of embellishing, a kind of beautifying, a kind of beautification, um, a kind of making you ready for certain important occasion, like a wedding. That's not just getting, throw some clothes on, you know, or put on your pajamas, you know. That's not adornment, you know. Adornment is a kind of uh, deliberate uh, preparation of yourself for an occasion, for a specific occasion. And sisters, every day in our life is a specific occasion. It's called every day we live a life in God's economy to build up the church, right? And so every day we need to be adorned. And cumulatively, all our present-day adornment will end up be the adornment of that bride in chapter 19, which includes only the overcoming saints, and also that bride, this is in the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, that includes all the saints. Either way, there is a kind of preparation. In the case of chapter, seven, uh, chapter 19, with clothed with white linen, which are the righteousnesses of the saints. That adornment is not overnight instantaneous. That is a lifelong adornment. Every day we adorn ourselves and going forth to meet our bridegroom. So every day is an important day. All right. Let your adorning not be the outward plating of hair and putting on of gold or clothing with garments. That must be a kind of thing in the days of the Roman Empire because Peter said the same thing as Paul. Verse 4, the most important verse. But the hidden man of the heart in the incorruptible adornment of a meek and quiet spirit, which is very costly in the sight of God. And we're going to get into this in this outline. Five, for in this manner formerly the holy women also, who hoped in God, adorned themselves, being subject to their own husbands. Clearly, this is talking about not just the physical adornment. Yeah? It's about a certain spiritual adornment. Six, as Sarah now is bringing in marriage. Obey Abraham, calling him Lord, 
whose children you have become if you do good and do not fear any terror. Verse 7, husbands, this is a word to the husbands, in, the li- in like manner dwell t- together with them, that is the wives, according to knowledge as with a f- weaker vessel, female, weaker female vessel, assigning honor to them as also to fellow heirs of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. I don't detect anything chauvinistic here. Do you? Honoring husband, honor your wives, knowing that they are a weaker and female vessels. It does not talk about dominating them. It does not talk about oppressing them. It does not talk about abusing them or mistreating them, but rather honoring them. Husbands, honor your wives. Okay, now with this reading, let's come to the outline. So the title here is The Adorning, still on this theme of adorning, of the hidden man of the heart in a meek and quiet spirit. So we're not mainly talking about the outward adorning, although that is, that is important. We are more burdened about the inward adornment. And so we're not talking about adorning the outward man, you know, this outer person. We're talking about adorning the hidden man of the heart. Hidden man of the heart. And you say, What is this hidden man of the heart? This hidden man of the heart is simply our mingled spirit, our new man. Our spirit is enclosed in our heart, which is which comprises which is comprised of the mind, emotion, and will. Remember, right? And so, uh, you know, this inner man is our mingled spirit, and it says here. This man needs adornment. We need to adorn, beautify this inner man. What do we adorn this inner man with? Not with gold, not with silver. But we adorn this hidden man, I should say, not inner man, hidden man of the heart in a meek and quiet spirit. So the meek and quiet spirit It's actually an adornment before God of our inner being or sisters of your inner being. So much so that this spirit, meek and quiet spirit, is in the sight of God. 
it's, 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 it's observed by God. It is noted by God to be costly. That means valuable. Of great price. Now, if something that God would count it costly, you better pay attention to it. That means God values this. You know, I told you, I gave those two messages on the worthy woman. That word worthy implies costliness. Worth, you know, something of great worth. That means something to be treasured, something precious, something of great value. So such a uh, spirit in the eyes of God is very costly. And so even the holy women in the past, you know, these in the times of the patriarch, all these holy women in time past, they who hoped in God, who lived by faith, they also adorned themselves similarly with such a spirit. And that is displayed particularly in one area, and that is in the area of their subjection to their own husbands. So Sarah was used as an illustration who obeyed Abraham, calling even Abraham Lord. I mean, today, if I tell you wives to call your husband Lord, you will, you will kill me, right? <laughs> Am I right? You, you shoot me, right? You know, you say, where, where do you come from? What, what planet do you come from? To tell me to call my husband Lord? I mean, for me to call him by his first name, I'm being merciful, you know? <laughs> Look, Peter, of course, he was speaking to the Jewish diaspora, so they all know about Abraham and Sarah, and, and he, he, he said that to them. <clears throat> all right, now let, let's go on here to the, to the outline. First Peter 3.3 3 says, Whose adorning let it not be the outward plating of hair and putting on of gold or clothing with garments. <clears throat> Now, again, I say, sisters, I'm not talking about you should just get up and whatever, you know. You don't care about yourself. You're just kind of messy. You're just kind of, you don't care about what you wear. You just throw something on. I, of course, we're not talking about that, sisters. But here, the contrast is in something excessive, something um, um, uh, so ornate, something um, extravagant, something it is excessive in a kind of display of the flesh. Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. So here, a women's hair was intended by God for their glory and a sign of their submission. The, 
the fact that you know women should have long hair, a consistent teaching of the of the Bible, is because it's a sign. It, it, it is more than just hair. It is a sign uh, on the female's head to the angels. Not even to men, but to angels. You know, not only God is looking at things, angels are looking, especially one-third of the angels, who are the rebellious angels. They are certainly looking. Whoever falls under God's order and have a sign of submission on their hair, and that being the hair of the sisters. It is also, but it is not just for their submission, but for their glory. For man to have long hair, it's a shame. So, for a Nazarite to let their hair grow means it's a shame to them. <clears throat> to a woman, a long hair is her glory. And also that sign of submission. So it is not just for your beautification, not for your, you know what I mean. It is first and foremost a sign. But it was abused by many, especially by those who live in the luxurious and corrupt life of the Roman Empire at the time of the epistles, to beautify their lustful flesh by its extravagant adornment with gold and other costly things. I, I don't need to go there. See, Christian wives as holy women should absolutely abstain from this God-condemned matter. Two, in 1 Peter 3, 4, now we go to the next verse, Paul goes on to say, but the hidden man of the heart in the incorruptible adornment of a meek and quiet spirit, which is very costly in the sight of God. Sisters, I say again, This is not a law, a rule from the church, from the Lord's recovery. I'm not giving you any regulations here to follow. I'm not doing that. But I do, I do encourage you to read this word and to pray this word. And let this word operate in you livingly. And let this word Enlighten. Our heart is composed of all the parts of our soul, mind, emotion, and will, and of the main part of our spirit, the conscience. That's our heart. Among all these, our spirit is the center. Hence, our spirit is the hidden man of the heart. So, you want to know a person, you need to know that person's spirit. Um, of course, our person is also our soul, our old person, right? Our original person. They are related because even some parts of us, a part of our soul is a part of our spirit. <clears throat> but the spirit is in the is hidden, it's unseen, hidden within the heart. 
The hidden man is in contrast to the outward plating, putting on and clothing in 1 Peter 3.3, and a meek and quiet spirit in contrast to the hair, gold, and garments. So what's the point? Sisters, talk about adornment. What's the point here? The point is this. Take care of your hidden man more than your outer man. Doesn't mean you don't take care of your outer man. But take care more of your spirit, your inner being, more than your outer being. Some sisters spend hours, I don't I don't know, on the outer adornment. I shouldn't say spend no time. Of course not. But how about more time on the inner being? Instead of spending so much time on the outer being, how about spend some time to touch the Lord in your inner being and be beautified by him? You know, really, in the end, our real clothing, our real adornment, is nothing but Christ and in all his aromatic virtues. All of the uh, sweet virtues, precious virtues of this Christ are all aspects of our adornment. So we have the word meekness. That's a virtue of Christ. Quietness. That's a virtue of Christ. There are many other virtues of Christ those are our gold, those are our silver, those are our adornment of our inner being. And so, how do you adorn yourself without touching the Lord? How do you adorn yourself if you don't enjoy Christ? How do you adorn yourself if you don't, what, uh, spend time with him? So, sisters, this is another fight daily to find time with the Lord in all your busyness. You must spend time. We spend too much time on other things and not enough time with the Lord to properly adorn our inner being. The wife's adornment should be the inner being, the hidden man of the heart, which is their spirit in meekness and quietness. Four, this is the incorruptible adornment in contrast. Okay, I read that already, right? In contrast to the corruptible hair, gold, and garments, this spiritual adornment is costly in the sight of God. Five, a spirit that has become meek and quiet is the kind of adornment that should be possessed by all Christian wives. Now, that doesn't mean the wife doesn't say a word. No, that doesn't mean that. It is talking about a certain condition of your spirit, a certain condition of your inner being that is meek, that is quiet, that befits a Christian woman, even a Christian wife. B, according to 1 Peter 3, the most beautiful part of our being the prettiest adornment in the sight of God is a meek and quiet spirit. How about that? This is the hidden man of the heart. This point shows that our spirit is the deepest part 
of our being. You know, I tell brothers when they go look for wives, you know, sisters, I said, I mentioned this before, don't just look at the outside. I didn't say don't look at the outside. I said don't just look at the outside. <laughs> and I mean that. I mean that. I say look at the inside. In the long term, the outside will change. Sorry, huh? Sorry. <laughs> Trust me. Gravity will do its work. Huh? <laughs> Age will take its toll. That's just, just the way it is. But the inner situation that is of the Lord, that is learned of the Lord, that, uh, that, is, being, that is a process of adorning, that will last. That will not change. That's what's important. <clears throat> so if we are going to be pretty in the eyes of God, we have to be pretty from the depths of our being. We should not be pretty just outwardly in a physical way <clears throat> because that's temporal. I don't know if Brother Lee used the word pretty. <laughs> We need to be pretty to God who is going to marry us. Am I right? We need to be pretty not on the outside for sure. God is not going to marry the uh, outer being. He's going to marry our inward being, both our regenerated spirit and even our transformed soul. So today we're in the process of adorning them. We have to be pretty inwardly in the hidden man. This man is hidden from the eyes of man, but it is not hidden from the eyes of God because such a hidden man that is a meek and quiet spirit is pretty in the eyes of God. There's some women wives they just can't stop talking and especially to the husbands and particularly not in such a good way <clears throat> to the point that the husband just want to die, you know. So just kill me, you know. I cannot take this anymore. But that is surely not a meek and quiet spirit, right? <clears throat> I am not for husbands abusing wives and, you know, Verbally, and of course, of course not physically, but not even psychologically. No, no. That's bad. So the apostle's word is, husband, love your wives. 
That's the word to the husband. Love your wives. Don't mistreat them. Never, never mistreat your wives. Never lift up your hand, not even once, to watch your wife. Don't do that. You need to honor the wife that God has given to you. But sisters, I'm not speaking to men or husband. I'm speaking to you. All right. So you need to be pretty in the eyes of God. If you are pretty, using the ministry word here, in God's eyes, trust me, you'll be pretty in your husband's eyes. In time, they will see. See, one serious lesson for wives to learn is not to argue, not to exchange words with their husbands. The sisters need to realize that when they exchange words with their husbands, they do not have a meek and quiet spirit. You may say, "I just cannot take it anymore." He's this bully, you know, this 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 this, this ugly person. Um, well, I don't know what to say. In a way, I know what you're saying. Um, and surely I'm not here to justify men and say all men are good, well-behaved, loving husbands. I'm, I'm surely not here to say that. I know better. Uh, but don't get into the habit of exchanging words argument, fightings, um, losing the temper. Um, It's not good for the marriage. Let me tell you for sure, it's not good for the children. Okay? Think about the children first. If a wife, a Christian wife, The sister, as a Christian wife, maintains a meek and quiet spirit. She will not lose her temper, and she will not even exchange words with her husband. Knowing the situation of married life from experience and observation, Peter charges the wives to adorn themselves with a meek and quiet spirit. I know many, many uh, marriages today uh, have spiraled downwards unnecessarily. There's no perfect marriage. There are always going to be problems, differences in disposition, differences in opinion, all of this. That's just, just the way it is. But yet because of lack of self-restraint, because of selfishness, because of indulgence of the flesh, I tell you, we let exchange of words, that's where it begins, a few words, then it grows, it continues, it becomes habitual, it becomes part of life in a marriage, and I tell you, soon it becomes something almost unsalvageable. If the husband and the wife would learn, and I'm not here to be a marriage counselor, But if a husband and wife would learn, and especially we Christians, 
We have a spirit. We have the Lord within us. Am I right? Don't, that's not just talk. That's not just, you know, doctrine. We really have the Lord within us. And yet we forgot about the Lord a thousand percent and just, blur, you know, just, just, just live the way we want to live in an uncontrollable fashion. And every bit, every little exchange adds to the crack. And eventually that crack becomes so big that you cannot mend it. I really mean it. Even the smallest exchange and argument will add to the fraying of a relationship. Let's not just... We, we, we need to live by the life within. We really need to live by Christ. This meekness, this quietness, this self-control, all these fruits of the Spirit has to be our experience and realities. You know what meek is? What does the meek mean to be meek? To be meek means not fight back. It doesn't mean humble, okay? Just humble. It means when you are even mistreated, you don't fight back. Whoa, that's hard. That's really hard. In fact, that's impossible. That's why we need the Lord to do the impossible. If it's possible, then we don't need Christ. If we can do it, we don't need grace. Grace is Christ doing in us what we cannot do ourselves. Dear sisters, because I have a bunch to say to the brothers, but I'm speaking to sisters, to wives. Don't say it's impossible. I have such a terrible husband that you cannot imagine. <laughs> Off the charts, you know. I, I, uh, you, 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 you're lucky, so you don't know my suffering and, 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 and uh, adversity day and night. Well, maybe. You may be right. But every marriage, if it's the Lord, God putting us together, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. Somewhere along the line, you have to acknowledge God's sovereignty. You know, even without the Lord, these kind of marriage counselor people, you know, they try to help the, the, the husband and wife just to be even humanly more accepting, more tolerant, more empathetic of each other, more understanding. You, you understand what I'm saying? That's without the Lord. But we have the Lord. We, we have the Lord Jesus within us. Peter's word indicates that many sisters, I'm going to read three and I'm done with this outline, tended to adorn themselves with plating of hair, gold, apparel. He did not feel happy about the, day, uh, about the way they dressed. 
A, the plating of hair and ornaments of jewelry are not suitable, nor is beautiful apparel. B, we are not saying that sisters should be careless in their clothing. So you see, we're not saying, you know, just be frumpy and, and messy and no, no, no. Be pleasant, be nice. Um, uh, actually, sometimes when you go too much the other way, you become weird. You, you, you bring attention upon yourselves in a different kind of a way. Do you follow me? Just be ordinary, according to the situation, the times, right? And according to the law of life within, all right? So it should not be careless in their clothing. If a sister dresses herself in a careless, untidy, and unclean way, it means that she is a careless and loose person. That's not what Peter meant. Peter's emphasis is that sisters should not adorn themselves with the plating of hair and the putting of gold and costly garments. Instead, they should adorn themselves with a meek and quiet spirit. This must be also be the result of man having been dealt with by God. So even men, likewise, not just the sisters. The rest, you can just read. It is mostly, I think, something from Brother Watchman Nee on clothing. That is a wonderful chapter on the New Believers series by Watchman Nee. Very, very basic, very, very uh, important chapter on Christian clothing. And you have it uh, in the back here, so I will not cover that. Okay, I, I have finished with this sharing. Now, I'd like to hear... See, if you have some questions for me, you have some questions for me, uh, maybe I should have asked you to write it down so uh, to, to keep it anonymous or whatever, but uh, we don't have that kind of a time. So, uh, sisters, you feel free to ask any questions. Uh, yeah. That's the fourth that I missed. Amy Barber is the fourth that I missed. She actually should be the first. Well, no. Dora Yu's first. And then Amy Barber. And then Ruth Lee. And then Peace Wang. In that order. <clears throat> Thank you. Very meek and quiet spirit. <laughs> Which I don't quite believe. I know better. Sisters who are so, uh, the moment they walk out of this door there, they become a different person. Yes. 
Would you repeat someone? Yeah. Oh, for sisters? Well, this is a kind of perennial question. Can sisters call hymns? You, not just table or the worship section of the part of the, the, the Lord, after the Lord's table. Uh, can sisters call hymns? My simple answer is yes. My simple answer is yes. But there's a but afterwards. And not just for sisters, for brothers as well. And that is hymn calling is very, very important part of our meetings. A right hymn or a good hymn will bring a meeting upwards. It will enrich a meeting. It will bring the saints into a certain kind of feeling and inspiration, and that would make the meeting go higher and go deeper. Or it will strengthen the flow of the Holy Spirit amongst us. A hymn called wrongly or the wrong hymn will do the opposite. So it's not just for sisters, for brothers as well, but sisters, you have to make sure that when you call the hymn, it's not like, you know, my favorite this week, you know. Uh, You have to, we all need to learn to follow the flow of the Spirit and learn to call the right hymn at the right time. Now, in many instances, in a larger congregation, you may, we may defer this to the brothers, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, when the hundreds of people, you know, just to keep the meeting moving, sometimes the sister, excuse me, the brothers are more active, and that's okay. But especially in smaller gatherings, smaller situations, there should be nothing wrong. But all these principles have to be be there. You have to still know your place, your position, right? But that is your contribution. Each one has in 1 Corinthians 14. When the church comes together, each one that includes sisters. Each one has a psalm. Then a revelation, then a teaching. That means a psalm, a praise, is the first thing. That includes singing. That includes singing, right? I hope that answers the question. Which means you need to know the hymnal. See, most of you don't even know the hymnal, or you just know you just know five songs. You know, uh, you know. I put together five hundred top hymns and five hundred top choruses from our hymnal. So at least you need to know those. So you know which one to call, which one fits the atmosphere or the flow of the spirit, you know, in a meeting. <clears throat> That's another training we need to have. Yes? Well, it is the context of this here, okay, in, that is in, in Peter, is clearly a, uh, talking about husband and wives, especially here, wives, because that's how this chapter started. <clears throat> uh, 
is the matter of uh, submission, the context, you know, and obedience, like Sarah and Abraham and so on. So um, when you say meek and quiet, you would, you would associate those words to submission and obedience, right? So um, I would like to say that, and that is, uh, again, quiet doesn't mean you don't say a word, you tape your mouth, right? The quiet, meek and quiet spirit is a condition. It's an inner condition that you have. I may be speaking here, but you can sense, I'm not saying that I have a certain spirit. That spirit is a meek one. That spirit is a quiet one. I'm speaking. I'm, I'm not silent. But the condition of my spirit is meek and quiet. In, I think in Corinthians, Paul says, should I come to you with a rod or should I come with a what? With a spirit of meekness. This is Paul, the man. This is not just a wife. Uh, women. So even Paul, he said, when I come to you, should I be strong? Should I rebuke you? Or should I come with a spirit of meekness? That doesn't mean Paul comes and just sit there and doesn't say a thing. That means his inner condition, the condition of his inner man is one of meekness. No fighting, no argument, no pushback, no, you know what I mean? Uh, loudness and, and, and all this kind of thing, making a fuss and all these things, but meek and quiet. And that spirit is actually a spirit of submission. You know, when a person humbles himself, let's say, I humble myself. For sure, I'm not here talking and fighting and arguing and, you know, debating. It surely is something that would be expressed by a kind of a meekness and a kind of a quietness. So it's a condition, inward condition that you have. I'm not going to go there. I, just, uh, um, I mean, I, uh, I mean uh, maybe I'll say something uh, more, 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 more privately. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we, we, you know, we, we should know. We, we know how, how we should be, right? Um, all the thing, these things that would be part of our expression and especially visibly to others will mean something, you know, will mean something. So, but I, I don't want to go there. You have a question? Yeah. Um, wife and sister first 
What? How about sisters wearing skirts in the meeting or not wearing skirts in the meeting? Right? Oh. Why? What do you mean, why? Why do sisters wear skirts in the meetings? Or why should they wear skirts in the meeting? Well, I didn't say that. I didn't. I really didn't. So, any spiritual significance? I don't have any <laughs> spiritual significance. I, you know, I, again, uh, sisters, I know. This kind of uh, uh, concern, you know, questions are in many. How should we dress? And, you know, how stylish should we be, or can be, or you know, pants, or whatever. Um, I, I I don't know what to say because once I say something, it will become law. <laughs> The next thing, it will be on Twitter and on your Facebook page. Minoru Chen said, "X Y Z," and then I'm in trouble. Okay, so I'm not going to say anything in this kind of a way. I would really encourage you, sisters, in this and other similar things, really learn to follow the Spirit. And this is why passages like this are actually very, very important. But I think they should not just bring you to the point of having rules and regulation. All they should bring you to the Lord and to the Spirit. You need to learn to know the law of life within. All right. Uh, to live by Christ, to live by the Spirit. Right. And how to you should demeanor yourself. How to deport. You you can dress all all. Right, but there's no. Your spirit is all wrong. <laughs> Then what? I'm not saying you should dress wrong, but I'm saying that it has to come from within. You know, our dressing is our expression. My dress is an expression of me, so it come. It has to come from within. That it means have to come from our spirit, where the Lord is. One more question. Yes. So it's similar that kind of question. I'm not going to give you an answer because it will be broadcasted globally. Uh, I'm not going to advocate public school, private school, Christian school, homeschool. I'm going to get into trouble. So I'm not going to answer your question. All right? Um, you, as a parent, you have to do what you feel doing humanly. And also, how the Lord give you the peace spiritually, and you should not compare. Oh, they that 
you have to be before the Lord. And all these things you have to do with sobriety, right? All these things you have to do with discernment, and all these things you have to do it with knowledge, all right? So I cannot say more than more more than that. You also have to do these things with much prayer. You know, let me end with this. The, the few the things that your child would need, right? Of course, number one without goes without saying is love. All right, the parental love is the most important thing. But number two, I would like to, well. Number two, I would like to tell you, is the proper human guidance. I, I'm not even talking about spiritual yet. The proper human guidance, which, sorry to say, today even schools don't provide. The proper human raising up of a child. In their behavior, in their politeness, in their in, in, in their thinking, in so many things, you know, the basic. Number three, number three. You must give them the Word of God. I don't care. You must give them. Read the Bible with them, and say something simple to them. Even grade school, they may not even be saved. Okay, but the Word of God will make them wise to salvation. So help them with the Word of God. Look at this: is how the 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 Orthodox Jewish people how they train their children. If you know what I mean, they build this into them when they're young. They don't let them go. Don't leave it to others to do. Don't leave it to the children's meeting or the young people's work to do it. You have to do it as parents. <laughs> lastly, lastly, don't forget this. Pray for your children. Don't let them go. Don't stop praying, regardless what the thing look like. Pray for them, and never give up on them. Okay. All right. I stop here. Shall we have a okay? Have a little prayer, and then we can end, huh? Please have some prayer. Don't be silent. Have some prayer. <laughs>